Open your Bibles now to the Gospel according to Luke. This will be Luke chapter 6. The good Dr. Luke in chapter 6, we're looking at verse 20 to 26. Verse 20 to 26. You'll probably recognize the title, the Sermon on the Plain. You may be familiar with that. And you've heard the Sermon on the Mount, and you've heard a lot of discussion of what's the difference, what's the similarities, contradictions, and all of that, none of that. We'll, we'll talk through it. We'll see what it, what it really means. We're going to look at this sermon. There's not much to this sermon. Tonight, uh, today, we're just going to look at the Beatitudes, just the six verses, and then we'll come back to it next week, and one more week and be done. Matthew's is a little bit longer, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But let's read it first. We'll read together in the Pew Bibles. Your own Bibles are up on the screen. Luke 6, 20 to 26. Hear now the word of God. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you. When all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Let's pray together. Father, it is no accident we're here today, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Make this a word of salvation, whether that individual or many individuals are here in this church or out on the internet by way of our live stream. Raise them from death to life. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Make this day a day of salvation. And for those in the midst of storm winds that are blowing, make it a word of comfort and peace. And for those who are tired, weary, and heavy laden, a word of rest. All things to all people that some might be saved. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, Sermon on the Plain is the title. The subheading would be the Beatitudes. Three headings. Number one. The audience, number two, the announcement, and number three, our acceptance. We're going to head out into deep water in just a moment. But here's a couple things to keep in mind as we go through this. This is a very counterintuitive and countercultural teaching of the Lord Jesus. It was shocking, if you will, at that time. It's a fundamental reversal of what the audience would expect to hear, what the world would expect. To, to understand the way the world systems are set in place. This is just a radical reversal of that. And let's make it clear what it is not before we launch out into it. Whether it's Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7, or it's here in Luke, 
this is not an ethical teaching designed to help you have your best life now. This is a preaching specifically to the citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is identifying the marks, the true marks of the disciples of of Christ. That's what these are. This is not an ethical. Many will say Jesus was a great ethical teacher. This is not an ethical teaching. These are not things that you aspire to. These are divine declarations that God says over your life as you have been raised from death to life by grace through faith. Blessed are you. And we're going to walk through what that means. And then we'll look at at the counters, the cursing. So we need to understand what this is not and, and what it is. It is just contrary to what they expected. And we'll know that under the first heading. So let's take a look. We're going to head out into deep water and let our nets down for a catch, okay? Here we go. Number one, who was the primary audience? You know that there are thousands of people crowding around Jesus. They're following him everywhere. There's healings taking place. Just about every disease in Palestine is being healed. And there are thousands and thousands of people coming from everywhere. And they're there. But this is a different teaching. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. Remember, he used a floating pulpit. He preached from a boat. He taught in the synagogues. He taught as he was walking along the way. But this is different. And you're going to see why because of what's just happened. Remember, you have to look at all of Scripture in light of all of Scripture. How does it all fit? You can't pull this out and pull many do that. And, 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 and it, it's a terrible thing to do. We, we miss the deep truth of Scripture. So who's the audience? Let's be clear. Ready? Verse 20 in chapter 6. Looking at his disciples. He makes it clear who the audience is. He's looked now. What does that mean? There's a large group of disciples. What is, well, we have to go back to verse 13. Ready? Go back to verse 13, chapter 6. He was up all night. He was praying. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. So he calls the disciples. That's the larger group. But he chooses 12 of them. Only 12. And he designated them as apostles. So this is a radical change in his teaching focus right now. He is specifically focused on those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Those who are truly his disciples. There are all sorts of different layers of disciple that have been following him. And you remember in John, when we preached through the gospel of John, after some hard sayings and teachings, many of them walked no more with him. They just couldn't deal with the hard sayings, and these are hard as well when they're understood, when the spiritual mind understands them. So the audience is, is not the whole group of people on the, the hillside, on the plain. He is specifically narrowing his focus on the citizens in the kingdom of heaven. You, today, who are by grace through faith in Christ. This is, a, this is not an evangelical message that you take out on the street to preach to the unbeliever. This is a message, a message that identifies who truly is in the kingdom of God by grace through faith. Okay? Let's take a look at a couple things. The reason that this is done, let me ask you a question and let's be real practical. 
If you were there with Jesus 2,000 years ago and you were one of the 12, remember there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of disciples. We don't know how many. If you're one of the 12, after all night he prays and he chooses you, 12 out of thousands, how would you feel? And be honest. Could you be a little puffed up? Could you be, oh, come on, I'm not alone. I'd be feeling pretty good. I'd be feeling good. I'm in that, that special, wow. Wow. Don't you like sometimes you get that invitation and you go, oh, I made that list. Nice. And we feel, well, Jesus is very clear to make sure to cause them to pause so that they understand exactly what it is he's calling them into. You ever heard somebody say, after storm winds blow, I didn't sign up for this? I hear that often from those who are sitting under gospel light teaching messages that do not prepare them for the storm winds. And why should we be prepared for storm winds? Because I preach to you weekly, there's only three stages in life. Stage one, you are in the middle of a storm. Would you agree? Stage two, you are coming out of a storm. Stage three, you're going back into a storm. That's life. Deal with it. Jesus never, ever, ever preached to felt needs. Ever. He refused. And that's why many walked away. He preached the truths of the gospel. And why was he preaching this right now for them? He wanted them to do something in particular. Take a look. He was teaching the cost of having been chosen. There's a cost to being in Christ. You know, you hear some of those preachers come to Christ and, and everything is great and all things. Who, who's, who believes that? I remember when Kim and I got saved in 1995, things were fine until Jesus showed up. It didn't, not until he showed up did things end up come, the wheels came off the tracks. Why? Before he shows up, you don't know any better. You're just skipping through life fandango. Life is great. Living for yourself, doing anything, you, right? We were, we were just living a good life. Then Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden, what? Now you're stuck with this contrast. Do what you want to do or do what he wants to do. Do, do what his, his will or your will. His goal, your goal. His purpose, your purpose. Now you're stuck. Now, now, now you've got to make some decisions. Before then, you didn't. It was all about you. It was all about me. So he says, there's a cost to being mine. I paid the price for you to get in. I paid the fee for you to get all the way to the other side. But make no mistake, before you get there, you'll pay too. There'll be a cost. It will be costly to you. That's what this message is. Okay? Let's take a look. Paul knew it. What did Paul say in Philippians 3, 7 and 8? But whatever were gains to me. And who was Paul? Just be, be clear. Let's read it first. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Who was Paul? Paul didn't start Paul. Paul was Saul. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees studying under the great Gamaliel. He had the greatest of all rabbinical teachers that you could have in that day. He was the cream of the crop. He was the man. And on that Damascus Road experience where Jesus simply just lays him in the dust, he rises out of that and realizes that everything I had, everything I consider law, nothing. I consider it rubbish 
compared to the surpassing knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had, see, it wasn't like a guy who had nothing. He had everything. He had power. He had position. He had prestige. He had prosperity. He was the man. But not anymore. Now he was Christ's man. And that changed everything for Paul. And finally here, how do, we, how do we know that this is for the disciples? Jesus is looking at them. He's just called the 12. Here's the key in understanding why it's so difficult for some to get this message. Ready? 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. You often ask yourself, how come they don't understand this? That's a gift from God. They don't have the Spirit. They can't understand. They can't discern spiritual things. Everyone's spiritual, right? You hear it? I'm, I'm, I'm some spiritual. You can't discern the, the, the spirit of Christ without having been given the spirit of Christ. So it's clear, Paul says. So you cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So who's the audience? It's you today. It was the, the disciples that day. It's always the disciples. This is a very specific teaching for those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? That's the audience. Now, number two, we're going to launch out into the announcement. We'll be very brief on these. We're, we're teaching a whole study on Wednesday night. I wrote a study on the Beatitudes out of Matthew, uh, the Matthew Beatitudes. So we'll contrast Luke's and Matthew's. And we're taking ten, nine weeks, ten weeks to go through it. So we can't do much in, in a few minutes on Sunday morning or Saturday night. But we'll do the best we can and just to kind of give you a few pieces of information on, on, on this teaching. So these are announcements. These are pronouncements that, that Jesus is making. And there's two kinds. There's two kinds. There's, you can call it good. You can call it bad. You can call it blessings. You can call it curses. You can call it wheel. You can call it woe. The oracles of wheel and the oracles of woe. Wheel, not W-H-E-E-L-W-E-A-L. A, a, a blessing, a good statement, a benediction. You get at the end of every sermon, we give you the benediction, right? Of, of God speaking a, a good word over your life. So that's what this is, blessing. Look at the, the Greek word. Then I want to tell you something so that we're clear on what's happening here. The Greek word, makarios, is the Greek word for blessed. It also has been in, interpreted as happy. You'll see sometimes maybe you're holding a book that says happy. Happy are those, happy are those. To be envied, if you will. Uh, happy is not a good term, and let me tell you why. If you use the word blessing, let me make this clear. The opposite of blessing is not unhappy. The opposite of blessing is cursed. So happy is a horrible substitute for blessing. Why? What's the difference between what's happening here? This is a declarative statement of God over his people. God is making a declaration, a divine declaration over his people. This is, this, this is a reality. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. What's the difference between being blessed and being happy? Happy is subjective. You ever gone from happy to sad? Why? Your circumstances changed, right? Of course. That happens all the time. It can't be happy are those. Happy are, why? It's, 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 it's too up and down. There's too many changes in life. Blessed and happy are not the same. They're not synonyms. Blessed is a divine declaration over your life. It is a reality today and a future eschatological reality then when you get to the other side. But it is real today. God says, blessed are you. Why? Because of what I have done in your life. That's the key. Not an ethical teaching. Not happier those. Blessed. You're, listen, 
Your being blessed by God cannot be affected by the circumstances around you. But your happiness constantly is. This is untouchable. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. You are the blessed ones. And nothing, no matter what storm wind blows, nothing can affect... Always the ones who come and say, Pastor, I didn't sign up for this. They understood life in Christ to be a happy life. Jesus didn't die to make you happy. My goodness. There's way too many things in life that are unhappy. Designed to make you sad. It's the blessing of God. The divine stamp of God's approval over your life. Because of what he has done in you. And now through you. Ready? Here we go. Luke 6, 20 to 23. Just let me be... This is not a Christian word. This is not even a Hebrew word. Okay? If we go back to the Old Testament, this is a constant motif in the Old Testament writings. Blessed... Go to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk... In the counsel of the wicked. and Okay. So this is very common in scripture. But this is outside of the scripture. This goes to the ancient world. That's what Jesus is. He is teaching something so radical. In the ancient world there were three categories to be blessed. You know what the first category was? You had to be a God. Little g. Little g. Gods were what? Gods were above the cares and the challenges of daily living. So the gods were blessed. They didn't have to deal with the stuff you have to deal with on a daily. So the gods were blessed. Well, there was a second category in case you weren't a god. Next category, you just had to be dead. The dead were blessed. Why? They were beyond the, the, the cares of daily living. They, they were beyond the veil. So they were blessed. You, you even know that in, in, the, in the Christian calendar, All Saints Day. You know how they targeted those saints days? They targeted based on the day they died. That was the day of their great blessing. So, so in the ancient world, if you were dead, you, you were blessed. You went on to the world of the gods. Then the third one was depending on what you had. If you were in the upper crust and the upper echelon of society, then you were blessed. If you had a lot of stuff, you were blessed. Those are the three categories. Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, he turns the whole thing upside down. Everything. So they understood the word. They understood the categories. And Jesus says, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to show you who's truly blessed. Ready? Here we go. Don't miss this. Blessed are the poor, oh boy, for yours is the kingdom of God. Just a quick statement before we go to Matthew. Is poor physically in the temporal sense in view? Yes, all of that is in view uh, to a certain extent, but you can't say that blessed are the poor. It's much deeper than that. We'll go to Matthew in a second because why do we know that that certainly can't be true? Was Abraham poor? Shake your head, say no. Was Isaac poor? No. Jacob? No. Joseph? No. David? Lydia? No. On and on and on and on and on. Great saints. Job, was he poor? Of course not. So there's something deep. Yes, at some level, we can see it in the temporal sense, the poor and the hungry. We can see that. But it's deeper. It's always deeper. Yes? And it's always deeper here. Here we go. Ready? Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? I'll give you two words. Spiritual bankruptcy. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you a quote from Spurgeon. Well, a paraphrase instead of a quote. Spurgeon had what he called the stairway to heaven, the ladder. And he had a ladder, and he had said there were rungs. And all of these beatitudes were rungs 
on top of each other. But they were in a specific order for a reason, and Jesus ordained the order. The first one, that rung, was in the dust and the ashes of, of the ground, and that was spiritual poverty. The, the, the foundation upon which a blessed life would be built would be built upon understanding that you are nothing, you have nothing, and you can do nothing apart from God. You are spiritually and utterly bankrupt. That's the poor in spirit. Okay? Got it? That's the first rung on the ladder. Now, the order's different. In Matthew, you go from poor in spirit, right, then to mourn, and then to be meek, then to hunger and thirst. Luke is different. People say, well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a contradiction between Matthew and Luke. Well, stop. Even some scholarship speaks like that. Why would that be silly? First of all, do you think this is the whole sermon that Jesus preached? There's 30 verses. How long does it take to read 30 verses? A couple minutes? Two minutes? If you go to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, how long does it take to, to walk through that? 15, 20 minutes? You think he preached a 15, 20-minute message and walked away? I don't. He didn't. He preached for hours. So these are just tiny portions of what God inspired Matthew to write and what God inspired Luke to write. That's all. Just little portions of it. No conflict. All in agreement. And you would think that there would be something up if everything was the same. They So these... And Jesus taught over and over and over. He taught the same message. Good teachers repeat good messages. Yes? All good coaches go back to the beginning. Over. Can you imagine him teaching this only once? So we put them together and we see exactly how they fit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt. Next, Luke takes us to hunger, okay? Blessed are you who hunger, for you will be satisfied. What does that mean? Go to Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they will be filled. There's the key, to be hungry for the things of God. Does that define you? After understanding your spiritual bankruptcy, are you hungry for the things of God? Does that, does that define you? From there, we move into the weeping. This would be the mourning. This would be the second one for Matthew. This is the third here for Luke. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Remember, these are promises that have been given to the citizens in the kingdom of heaven. The ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment will come on the other side, but it's, it's one of those already and not yet, but much of it you you realize today in your walk right now with the Lord Jesus Christ you know what it means to weep and to mourn Matthew says it this way blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted what is this mourning it can't just be a general mourning when things aren't going well or when something bad happens in the world when you put it all together as the stair as that ladder and the rungs that Spurgeon talks about you go from being poor in spirit on the bottom to mourning over your sinful condition. We are all sinners by both nature and habit, yes? Okay, so we mourn that. So the question is, have you ever mourned over your sinful condition? That's what Jesus is getting at. It should bother you that you're sinful. We should mourn. Remember when Peter, after denying Jesus three times, what does he do? It says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. That's repentance. He was repenting. 
What was the difference between Peter and Judas? They both went out and wept. They both were upset. They both were sad. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? Judas went out and he was upset because it messed his life up. He was sorry for himself. Peter went out and was sorry because of what he did to Jesus. And he mourned and he grieved over his sin. That was the difference. He was filled with, one was filled with a godly sorrow. The other was filled with self-pity. That's all. Do we mourn? Do we mourn over our sinful condition? We're supposed to. We tell the kids, right, when we're working with them, we catch them doing something they shouldn't be doing. I remember working at the uh, school as a, you know, doing some teaching for that little season. And, you know, you find them doing something wrong and you catch them and you say, come on, let's sit down and talk. Oh, coach, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. Why are you sorry? You sorry because you got caught or you sorry because of what you've done? There's a difference between the two. Often you'll hear people today repent of great sins. You'll see people have catastrophic falls out of the sky. Are they truly mourning and are they truly sorry? For the most part, many are just simply sorry because it messed their lives up. It changed now the way they have to live. Is there a true godly sorrow that fills your heart when you break the heart of God? That's what it means to mourn. And that can't be done in your strength. That can't be done from an ethical teaching. That is a gift from God. God gives you the gift to mourn over your sinful condition. You can't do that by nature. I never mourned over my sin until Jesus showed up. Not until you understand what's happened on that cross do you begin to understand what it means to mourn over your sin. He died for that sin. Every single one of them. He died for that sin. It cost him everything. So it should change the way we look at it. And then finally right here, blessed are, so we mourn over the sin, and then blessed are you when men, see this is so counterintuitive. How can you attach the word blessed? So, so think about the word happy, ready? Happy are you when men hate you. Would that make you happy? When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. That, of course not. It's a blessed. Blessed. Makarios is the word. Because of what? Now listen, you, let me make something clear. You're not going to get a blessing when, when, when you get reviled or hated and persecuted and, and messed with because of your own self. No, you don't get any blessing for that. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I'm just being persecuted for the cause of the kingdom. No, you drove 65 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone, and you got a ticket for it. Well, I was on the way to church. Well, then leave earlier. Don't be like them in the front coming in later. <laughs> Love these guys. So you're not persecuted when you do stuff you shouldn't do. People get upset at you because you caused all that. So what does Jesus say? Blessed are you when you are persecuted for me. Because of me. Because of my name. Because of my will. Because of my, my kingdom. Not because of what you're doing. Some people have that all messed up. Oh, I'm just bearing the cross of Jesus. No, you're not. You're bearing your own. So we have to understand what that means. So here's what he says. And then he says what? Rejoice. Now here, pa pause for this. You have to see this. This, is what, this needs to be clear. Rejoice in that day. What does that mean? It means that you're not going to be reviled and persecuted every day. That, that's, not, don't go, that's no martyr syndrome to go out and try to be. You know, don't try to have people come after you. you. You will rejoice in that. When that comes, it comes, it comes. But in that day, specific day, specific season, then leap for joy. Why? Your reward is great in heaven because it's coming because of me. You are in the world and not of the world. The world hated me. They'll hate you too. If what? 
if they know you're mine. But if they don't know you're mine, they won't hate you. That's why so many preachers just simply go in with the flow. Tickling ears. Preaching to felt needs. Places are packed. But nobody will know any different. Why? There's no stand for Christ. So he said, you, you're, you're the blessed ones when you stand and you're willing to take whatever comes because of me. That's the point, okay? And then, of course, Matthew, blessed, same, same words. Blessed for you and people insult you and persecute because of me. Persecuted for following Jesus. Moving on. Now we'll do the woes, very quickly on the woes, okay? Let's just be clear on these. And so that we just have to make sure that we understand what this means. Cursing. This certainly doesn't mean for somebody who has money. Luke 6, 24. Woe to you who are rich, you have received your comfort. That doesn't mean that, right? Jesus preached a lot about people that had money, right? But are the rich cursed? course i just mentioned to you was job cursed abraham isaac go down the list of just the biblical people okay what what's the point of of jesus's teaching on riches what is the point the point is this it's not what you have i say this often it is not what you have it's what has you it's not what you possess It's what possesses you. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how... I know some who have nothing and are still miserable. Angry with the world. Not blessed of God. I know some that have fortunes and can't give it away fast enough. Giving with both hands. It's the heart. It has nothing to do with what's in your pocket and in your bank account. It's your heart. You want to know what your heart beats for? Take a look at your money and your time. Where does it go? It tells us what we're living for. So it's not those that have, it's those that hoard it. It's those that don't understand it's not theirs. Everything you have is a gift from God, which means the more you have, the more you're in debt to the one who gave it to you. Deal with that truth. Your next breath is a gift from God. That's what Jesus is trying to teach. Whatever you have, I gave it to you. I gave it to you to steward. And one day, whatever you have, you won't have it anymore. You won't take any of it with you. Now, I know some, you read some stories, they tell their people, you know, I want you to put some of that in that box with me while I can take it when I go. All right. Somebody said to me, you know, I, I, I want to take some of this with me. He says, maybe the guy's got a little inheritance, got $10,000. says, I won't take it with me when I go. I say, okay, I'll honor that. I'll write him a check, put it right in that box. You got it. I didn't give it to you with interest. Be the first one to drop that check in there. Not taking none of this with you. And if you live long enough, everything you have and everyone you know will be gone. Gone. He says, I'm the only thing that you have. That you'll always have. The only thing. So, 
Woe to you. You understand what that means? And then here, let's go to the guy, let's go, let's go to the guy who really messed it up. Luke 12, 21. <laughs> Guy's got a huge harvest. Huge harvest. Listen to this. The parable of what I call the bigger barns, not the bigger heart. Listen to this. This is how it'll be uh, with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is the guy that had this huge harvest, and his barns are filled. So you know what his plan is? Here's his plan. I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. And Jesus says, you fool. This very night, your soul will be demanded of you, and you're going to build bigger barns? What was his problem? His focus was bigger barns instead of a bigger heart. Give out of the overflow of what God has given to you. Give. You don't need a bigger barn. you got a plenty. Give that. Let that run through you. Give as it has been given to you. A good measure pressed down. Let it flow as a conduit of Christ. That's the whole point of this message. Okay? Woe to you who are well fed. It can't just be having a big meal. Man, Lord be woeing me all the time. Can't just be that. What is going on here? Isaiah 65, 13. Prophecy of those who do not serve God. The sovereign Lord says, my servants will eat. But you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be shamed. Those who refuse to give up everything for Jesus. What's the, what's, what's the great passage? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Jesus said, woe unto you. Woe. Remember the rich young ruler? He's right there. Finally, Revelation will put it in a context for us, won't it? You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Uh Uh-oh. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Oh, my word. There it is. There's the deep biblical truth. Then here, woe to you, the laugh. It can't be the joy and the laughter of the Lord. What does this mean, joy of those who laugh? Now, because you'll mourn and weep later. This is an evil, boastful laughing. This is laughing at someone, laughing at sin, laughing at suffering, laughing because you are so full of yourself and so devoid of the things of God. James 4, 9 says, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You laugh now, that day is coming. And then woe to you, here's the close. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers. Listen to this. How many guys like this are running around in these pulpits? Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. What did the false prophets do? Look at Isaiah 30.10. Look at what Israel says. Give us no more visions of what is right. Don't tell us the truth. Don't tell us the truth. Tell us pleasant things prophesy illusions. This is what Israel said. This, this, this wasn't the, the Egyptians and, 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 and the Assyrians. This is Israel. These are the people of God saying to the prophets, don't tell us the truth. Don't tell us where we're he- that, that we're heading over the cliff. T- tell, us, tell us pleasant things. Tell us things that will help us sleep at night, knowing that our destruction is at our door. It's, it's madness. And yet there are millions today. That's what they want to hear. Tell us pleasant things. Tell me things I want to hear that tickle my ears. I have no interest in, in, in deep truths. I don't want to hear that. 
You know, they say this. Listen, tickling ears rather than transforming hearts, right? There's the key. You know what they say? Ignorance is bliss. Two words for that. Not true. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance can tip you over the rest of your life. Ignorance is not a good thing. We are to be what? Knowledgeable of the word of God. Students of the word of God. Berean-like and search the scriptures when we hear sermons and go into the depths of the word of God to find out what is true. We, this, is an in, this is not a blind leap of faith, believing in Christ. Yes, it's faith and it's a gift and it's grace and all of that. But there's an intellectual aspect of understanding the truths of the gospel. You have a faith that is rooted in history. You have a faith that is rooted in events that go back from the beginning of the creation. The goal is that the mind be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The mind must be renewed. And this is how we do it. How do we close? Oh, I told you I'd go back to the group. This is the church today. Ready? I'm going to show you the church. And then don't raise your hands and don't nod. Remember, you're, on li- you're live. But find, but find out where you are. I, 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 I pray where you are, but find out where you are. In the gr- There's three groups. There's three groups in church. There's always three. You know, remember the wheat and the tares, but I'm just going to leave it in the context of the passage that we just preached. Okay? Ready? There's three. Let me show you the group. See if you can identify the three groups. Ready quickly? A large crowd. We'll go back to verse 17. A large, we preached it last week. A large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon. How do you get three groups out of that? We have to understand what happened in the context. What happened in the context? We have a large group of disciples. Okay, we have a large group, but we have also something inside that group. Do we not? We have 12. Remember the 12? 12 is symbolic of what? The 12 tribes of Israel. The new spiritual Israel are here. The new Moses is here. Jesus, Jesus now has raised up 12. The number is symbolic. We now, have the, we have now the 12 apostles inside the group of disciples. So we have the apostles group one. We have the disciples two. Then we have what? A great number of people. We have three groups of people. We always have three groups. Always in the church. Always. By way of the internet, always three groups. Ready? Group number one. The curious. That's the people. People are curious. So they come. They listen. Listen, you'll see them coming and going and moving and shaking depending on what's tickling their ears. But they're curious. They want to hear. So Jesus had lots of people. And Jesus even said to Peter, will you go away too? Everyone is leaving me. Will you go away too? What does Peter say? Where shall we go? You have the words of life. Life. So we have the curious. Always going to have the curious. Always in the church. Then two, we have what? We have the casual. Disciples. Some are saved. Some are not. But they're, they're, they're the casual. They come. They're part of the kingdom, many, some are not, but they're the casual ones. They, they, they go as far as it's comfortable. They, they, I'm in. Some a little less, but, that's, that's, but, but I'm in. Casual. That's part of the group. But this teaching is squarely focused in the dead center of the bullseye at the third group. It's the third group, the covenant group. That's the apostles, right in the dead center. You have to decide where you're at. And you decide based on what? What your heart beats for. That's all. It's that simple. This is not a man-centered religion. It's a God-centered religion. It's all rooted in grace. What is gra- Remember, the grace that saved you is the grace that is sanctifying you right now. It is growing you up into Christ. It is changing you from the inside out. It is <laughs> Everything is being redeemed. In you. Everything that you think and you say and you do and you desire. Every aspect of your life. And the goal is to get to the level of what it means to be covenant. What, what, what was the covenant? 
the covenant promises that God gave to Abraham through the spiritual seed and the commonwealth of Israel that he is drawing all men unto himself. For what purpose? To live for him. What does Jesus ask of you? Only one thing. Everything. He wants all of you. He doesn't want just a portion of you. He doesn't want you just in on Sunday. He doesn't just want you in in your daily devotion. He wants you. He wants you. All of you. He died for a relationship with you. An intimate, personal relationship with you. A covenant, commitment, one with a ring. A commitment, exclusive. That's the kingdom. So now, the question is, where does this find me? I've got good news. Today is a day of salvation for the curious. And even for some of the casual who aren't sure if they're covenant. Because right now is a time of invitation. And I'm going to show you three levels of invitation. And what we do here in this church. And we're going to put it up so it makes it easy for you to actually see the three levels of invitation. The first is to believe. If you you have never professed faith in Christ. Jesus is inviting you right now. Arms stretched out. Nail pierced hands. And he's saying come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting you right where you are into a personal relationship with him. That's the first level of invitation. But it doesn't stop there. Then those who are in relationship, now we are inviting you as a church to belong. Maybe you don't have a church home. Maybe you're wavering in and out. So we invite you into a church family. God says, come. Come into my family of faith and become one with my brothers and sisters. Come into the family of faith. And then finally, the last level is for those who have been committed, those who are covenant, to become. To become all that God has called us to do. There's the invitation. To believe and to belong and to become. That's what it means to be covenant with Christ. But the most important group there right now, I speak to you and I ask that you pray these words with me. Now is a moment of salvation. Tomorrow it may not be so. Tomorrow you may not be here. In this moment, we cry out. Pray with me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. I confess my sins to you, and I know that you are faithful to forgive. That is salvation, transferring your trust from yourself to your Savior. And then you go from believing to belonging to ultimately becoming And becoming never is finished until you get to the other side. But God made a promise to all of us who have been with him for years. God said, I will complete. I will finish what I started in you one day soon. That's the gospel. To believe, to belong, and ultimately to become. To go from the curious to the casual to the covenant. May that be your truth this day. Today is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of the gospel. Right now, if there is anyone out on the internet, anyone in this sanctuary who has never, ever surrendered control to Christ, this is a moment of salvation right now. We pray you give the gift of repentance and faith as they cry out to you, Oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And we know that you are faithful to forgive. You said, I will in no wise cast anyone out who comes to me 
So, Lord, we celebrate salvation this day, and we know that.